I'm your host, Aaron Groves, and welcome to the Pop Podcast. Well, hey, 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 guys, and welcome back to the Pop Podcast. I am your host, Aaron Groves. And I brought another very special guest into the studio where both my passions collide. So entrepreneurship meets fitness and fashion. And I actually met her at a yoga studio and have followed her in her journey. And we have a bunch of mutual friends in common um, and reached out to her because I'm like, I've got to get you on this podcast. So I have the co-founder of DeNovo Active here in Dallas, Texas, Lawrence Woodson on the podcast. Say hello. Hey guys. So excited to be here. I am super excited to kick this one off. I want you to start by just giving a little bit of background on who you are and where you came from. Okay. So my story is kind of wild. I'm from Fort Worth, (laughs) Texas. Um, I went to the University of Alabama and graduated in 2017 Came back to Fort Worth and was a private chef, actually, initially. That was my first gig. It was going so well, was loving it. But the problem was that it was all my parents, friends, and family. So whenever I'd be like, okay, what'd you think about this week's meals? They were like, they're amazing. They're perfect. And I'm like, what What can we change? And they're like, well, nothing. It's perfect. I'm like, okay, well, I can't get better and grow yeah. in this if I'm not going to get any constructive feedback. Um, and then in tandem, I just didn't feel like it was like keeping me on a healthy lifestyle So I went into health insurance, found myself um, working part-time at a boutique. All of a sudden, I was running every aspect of it from day-to-day operations, buying, staffing, everything. And then COVID happened and uh, boom, lost it all. Actually, I guess I should take that back for a second. I worked at Zen22 on their corporate marketing team. So I was still there through COVID, thankfully. Um, And then my now business partner reached out. I lost my job one day into lockdown and she was like, Hey, let's connect on your experiences. I thought you owned that. And I was like, no, oh my gosh. And I told her everything that I did. And at the end she was like, okay, so can you do it again? (laughs) And I was like, uh, well, like hypothetically, yeah, but I mean, that's expensive. And she was like, oh no, I got that part. If you can show me the other part. She was like, I am an accountant and a small business financial advisor. And I want to try this from the ground floor because everybody that she'd worked with was so well established, you know, that she hadn't seen the like building steps. So for her, this was not about retail. It was about starting something from the ground up and seeing where it goes. For me, it's that I had wrapped myself around in the fitness industry, so passionate about retail. And I feel like people had gravitated towards one brand for so many years. Yeah. And they go in the store and they try stuff on and it's not the size they expected or they have at home and they look at themselves in the mirror and they feel less than. But really, there's so many brands that if you try something on, it doesn't look good on you. Like, let me help you find something else. You know, like, let's walk out and let's go into the gym feeling our best so that we can perform our best and like be our best version of ourselves, I guess. Yeah. So for me, it was about the active wear and the fashion of active wear. And I saw the opportunity with COVID going, okay, this is only going up. So full steam ahead. 
we're going to dive into a few of the points that you just touched on there. I think you have a self-starter personality and I met her mom last week. So I think I kind of have an intuitive uh, notion on where you got that from. But for the audience, I think there is a lot of people that found themselves in a similar situation as you in COVID and they lost a job that they were attached to. Maybe they loved it or maybe they didn't and found themselves trying to start businesses. I mean, so many people left their corporate jobs for other opportunities. The great resignation is very real. And a lot of those became entrepreneurs. It's a huge boom that we've seen over the last few years. For you personally, was there a point at or in your life that you were like, hey, there's a part of me that really wants to pursue this entrepreneurial path? And I guess in that question as well, like, did you feel it inside of you? Or how did you know that pursuing this with your business partner was the direction you wanted to go? I know it's a loaded question, but. Totally. So I guess like I realized when I was a child that I had a hard time staying in my lane in terms of like if there was a group project, like that was my project. You know what I mean? Like I had a hard time like giving up and delegating tasks, which is a huge battle in itself as an entrepreneur as you cannot do everything yourself. You have to task things out. But that's kind of when I first started to get the feeling because I was like, I can't see myself in one specific position. I see myself making moves, but that's, I think, how I fell into being a private chef at first because it was a form of starting a business, but also kind of following a structure. Um, And then from there, I kind of realized like, okay, I want to do something different and obviously stay within the athleisure industry, but it really just seemed like a very natural step, especially because in the position that I had prior to COVID, I was running all aspects. Like I was working with the CPA. um, So I didn't feel like there were any like gaps of knowledge. I felt like I was given a really unique uh, position of power at a really young age within this business. And to take that experience and not run with it would have been a disservice to all my work to that point. Elaborate more on your position that you were running things for the business that you were working in because I think you see a lot of entrepreneurs that I've heard it called skill stacking or they're just taking knowledge from however many previous jobs they have and they're like, hey, this is what I'm really good at. And then the business that they start or pursue encompasses all of those things that they've learned and come to the conclusion that they're good at. So elaborate on that experience a little more for the audience. Yes. So I guess all the things that I'm was doing are like a direct mirror of the things that I'm doing now. Like I was placing and buying and doing all of the orders about six months ahead, balancing the different brands. Cause you can't, if you carry like 16 brands, which is I think where DeNovo's at right now. Yeah. We can't order all 16 every single month. We have to stack them and like make sure that the aesthetics are going to bleed through from the months prior and the deliveries prior. And then also bring in things to like accessorize that. So that was what I learned and took and did differently with DeNovo. The business that I was with before was not like that. It was strictly upscale activewear sets. So it wasn't making the whole outfit and it wasn't as much, we like to say at DeNovo, from the bar to the bar. So anything you could wear like from the yoga studio and then also wear out with your friends, like style it up in different ways. Um, I don't feel like I was hitting the question there though. You answered it and I think in terms of professional skills too, like you carried what you learned, the self-starter and you launching the food business and the chef service and then being able to run a business. It's like the operational piece as well as that self-starter into DeNovo. How did you know when your business partner 
approached you that this was the direction you were going to go? Because it's a kind of a unique situation where someone approached you and was like, hey, can you replicate this? Did you know her previously? So barely. We had met okay. at a fitness networking group and I was living in Fort Worth at the time and she was an instructor at a very small studio. So neither one of us really felt like we had the like right to be at a fitness networking group. Like neither one of us were influencers or big fitness figures for that matter. Yeah. And uh, I left that orientation. I, everybody was so nice. Like I met so many amazing faces, but there wasn't like good conversation, but it's because it was a networking event. Yeah. I didn't have much to bring. So I was in the parking lot and the girl parked in front of me has a capital to sticker on her car. And I see her getting into her car and I was like, hey, um, high school hero vibes. But like, were you KD? And she was like, yeah, I was. I was, I was a KD at a and And I was like, oh my gosh, I was a KD at Alabama. So then we followed each other on Instagram. Um, she had a client in Fort Worth. So she was coming to Fort Worth a lot. And she kept being like, oh, I'm going to come by and see the place, but never ended up coming. So we had just connected off of social media, but it was a very brief meeting. But then when I posted that I was looking for another fitness opportunity to do in tandem with the cycle studio marketing, I thought that she just wanted to hear what I was doing to help me find another position. Yeah. Like I was absolutely blindsided. Like when she was like, could you do it again? Like, here's your opportunity. I was like, whoa. But something that I did learn in all of my experiences leading up is that I operate best in the red. Like when there's pressure or when something's going wrong, that's when my brain like really clicks and is like, figure it out. And I was like, of course, like I didn't even stutter when she asked that question, even though I wasn't prepared to answer it. But the second I got off the phone, I was like, don't doubt yourself for a second because you could take this L of losing your job and just go get another job and just have a job. Or you could do everything that you were building up to do and it'd be completely your own and like move forward. So Christy, you know, now does the back end and the finances and like the budgeting and helps us like make formulas and all of that. But for her, the whole thing was um, building a business and seeing what entrepreneurs go through so she can be more relatable to her clients that she has that are small business owners. But in the new year, she will be transitioning out because her firm's taking off and she's killing it. And so that gives me a lot of opportunity to grow because I now will have all of the equity. And we're still tight. Like, there was no falling out. Like, I'm sure we'll still talk every day. Um, but we both kind of looked at each other and we were like, okay, like, next step. Like, this is going to be huge for both of us because it really is the best thing for both of our careers and what we were looking for when we got into the agreement in the first place. Elaborate more on what you were looking or what you two were looking for when you got into this in the first place. So it sounds like you had the passion for fitness and athleisure and she had more of the passion for business and the operational side of it. Is that correct? Totally. Yes. So what was her intention? Did she want it to be obviously what DeNovo is today or was her more, was her vision more short-term and yours was more long-term? So her vision was more short-term, mine was more long-term, but we were on the same page there. Okay. So she has always known that she wanted to smart start her own um, financial firm herself as, in, as an individual, and she's done that now. But prior to this, she had been with big four firms, yeah. and so she'd been working with entrepreneurs who had already made it, right? Okay. So now that she's working with influencers, small business owners. She understands like the grit that they had to go through. So for her, it was about the experience, about the climb. Um, And then for me, it was, I want to open this athleisure boutique. I want to grow it. And then I want to open a ton more. 
So for me, it's long haul. For her, it was about the experience. What is the biggest thing that you learned in having a co-founder experience, working with someone else that has different skills and I'm assuming a different mindset and view on how a business works? Totally. So we also have completely different personalities. I assume. Like, yeah. <laughs> could, we are completely black and white. But when we started this agreement, we were very clear on what each other's strengths and weaknesses are. Okay. So we built these little lanes and we didn't intersect at all. And Give I, an example of a lane. So, you know, if she tells me, hey, you can spend X amount on aloe in September. And I'm like, hey, I want to spend this much more. She's like, hey, babe, like, I make these formulas for a reason. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and it's worked so well. Like we have not got into one argument. I had to knock on wood there um, oh. because we just, we understand where each other are coming from and that it's like logical based decisions instead yeah. of emotional. And we're both very good at pumping the brakes. Like if I can tell that I'm like losing my cool a little bit, I'll be like, hey, um, I'm having a minty B, like text you later. And she's like, oh, well, no worries, you know? Yeah. Um, and then I'll call her and I'll be like, sorry, I was getting a little worked up here's why. And she's like, oh yeah, no worries. Here's, you know, where I was coming from. And then boom, we always meet in the middle somehow. So we always joke. Well, I always joke. She's married. I'm like, um, I'm single because I'm pretty sure you're my soulmate in the form of a business partner. <laughs> wow. Because the communication is perfect. Like it could, it couldn't be better. And that's why the biggest thing that stresses me out about taking on the business hundred percent I'm like, if, if I ever was in a position where I wanted to replace her or have somebody buy a portion of my equity, they've got big shoes to fill, babe. You know, I'm like, mm. yeah. so, but I'm excited to do it on my own for sure. We're going to touch a little bit on logical versus emotional responses because I think when you're super passionate about something and it's your pride and your joy, it's your business, it's natural to get emotion involved in it. And I see this a lot and I talked about this with my mentor, always taking 24 hours or whatever that time is to address a communication area or make decisions in terms of a business because I think that's where mistakes happen. Are there instances that you could give an example for the audience where you were at a clash between that logical and emotional decision and whether the outcome was positive or negative and why you feel that was? I know, again, another loaded question, but. It's a funny question too, because I'm trying to think like off the top of my head. Oh, uh, so a good one. So when we started our business in March, 2020, we launched online one month later. And then come, sep come August, it was still like outdoor dining. People weren't really shopping. So we were like, let's buy a mobile boutique truck. And take that to locations in like target specific areas. And then that also gives us like great market analysis for the whole Metroplex. Because we were doing Plano, Fort Worth, Dallas, you know, all over the place. But when we went to go buy this truck, okay, we bought it in Arkansas. And when we got it cleared and got it inspected before we got up there, you know, we were told it had all these things, right? Yeah. One of them being AC, you know. <laughs> no, babe. It only has AC when it's parked and plugged in. Uh-huh. So we get to Arkansas in July. It's 106 degrees and there's not even a jumper seat, meaning there's only a driver's seat. And so we get a foldable chair and draw, And I drove this box truck. I'd never driven a box truck in my life. It took about 10 hours and it was 106 degrees. And when we stopped in Oklahoma, I had that logical versus emotional. Emotional took right over and I was like, I can't do it. I'm not good. No more. Like, take it. And she was like, hey, we're like, we have like two hours. Can you just like 
chill out. And I was like, we need, we need to get me a popsicle. And then I had a popsicle. And then I was like, okay, <laughs> get back in the car. You know, where else are you going to go? You have no way to get home. Get in the car. <laughs> Drama. <laughs> we love the self-awareness. That's probably something I would say. In terms of the mobile truck, what was the why behind that? I think it's a unique idea that you don't see a lot in the athleisure space. Totally. So I'd actually come up with this concept in my prior position prior to COVID. Okay. Because that location was not converting. Like they weren't getting the foot traffic to even have the potential to make the sales to hit the goals that were needed to reach to be considered successful or profitable. So I'd actually like crunch the numbers on that because I'd done so many different pop-ups at different locations just with a table and a rack, right? And looked at, okay, I sell this much in an hour um, at these different locations. What if I could bring eight times as much merchandise to the same location and be there for the same amount of time? What would those sales look like? Played around with those numbers and was like, this is kind of a foolproof solution here. And also it helps you figure out where your product's selling the best because you know, girls everywhere wear leggings, but the different brands are pretty niche, you know? So, I don't know, the train left the station without me for a second. Oh, no, you're... <laughs> it's just an interesting concept because I think you got creative in a time where a lot of people went straight online. Like, you saw a bunch of people, and I had someone on... Or Jill Berger on the podcast, and she was talking about how her... Like, she went 100 or not 100% online, but she launched an online business and it skyrocketed overnight. And so you see a lot of people who launch this and then it takes off and it's almost like paralysis because they weren't expecting such growth. So I think you took a very unique approach to COVID by still giving people that in-person experience to shopping that we're all so familiar with, uh, but in a very different container, if you will, totally. on the go. And the other thing is that I had already made a business plan for this concept. Okay. So... That's how everything was able to go so fast, so confidently. And with COVID, it was just a no-brainer. It was like, okay, if people aren't going into stores, where are they still going? They're still going to work out. They're still going to their med spas. They're still I'm trying to think where else we would go, but places like that. And it really helped us kind of assess out what area we wanted to be in because we weren't married to any one specific region of DFW. What's the biggest challenge that you've had to overcome since launching the business? I can only pick one. I'm kidding. You can I'm to give, give us as many as you want. I'm joking. <laughs> um, so we were like fully prepared to, when I say fully prepared, I mean, we were fully aware that we were going up against a pandemic with retail, knowing that that was going to change a lot of things in consumer spending. Okay. Yeah. But what we didn't know is that, me, my business partner, and all of our employees were going to get COVID the 11 days leading up to Christmas. So we were closed for Super Bowl season of retail. Then two snowstorms. And then our shop flooded, and we were closed for like eight or nine days. I, I don't really remember. It was all kind of a blur. A city main pipe burst during one of the rainstorms, and the water came in through our back doors and just completely filled our space. Um, so... What I wasn't, the biggest obstacle was learning how to operate around things that you just could never see coming. Like, it would be like today being like, okay, your studio is going to completely flood out of nowhere, no heads up. Whatever's damaged, you got to figure it out, you know, whatever. It's just like hitting the hurdles as they come because you can plan out perfectly, but 
it doesn't always shake out that way. What's your biggest piece of advice for people who are in a situation similar to yours where they're dealing with things that they can't control and how to navigate through those times? Don't be afraid to ask people for help, advice, anything. I always tell people, I'm like, think about how your question would be perceived from the person that you're asking it, but then don't be afraid to ask because the worst thing that can happen is no, but often the answer is no, but blank I know can help you or no, but this would help you. And it just shocks me how often I'm connected with the right people mm-hmm. by technically asking the wrong person the right question. I love that response. Asking for help is something that I think a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with. I know for me, asking for help is super hard. I don't know if it's an ego thing or if it's a need for control or just wanting to figure things out. I'm not good at that. I'm good at asking questions sometimes, but it's in terms of even at work, if someone offers to help me, I get kind of overwhelmed. I'm like, I don't even know what to say. And then by the end of it, it's like they've helped me with five things, but then I'm more annoyed because I asked for help. Like it, it just never ends well for you. What have you learned about yourself being an entrepreneur that you didn't know before going into De Novo Active? So I am incredibly disorganizedly organized. If somebody walked into my shop to work for the first time, And they were like, hey, where is the cash box key? I'd be like, it's under the green shorts on the second shelf um, next to the clear coin purse. But nobody would ever know that. So I was realizing that I was making these weird little systems that only made sense in my brain. And that's not conducive to delegating to a team of people. So I really had to like rein back my ADD and be like, no, no, no. Like this water's going to go on the coaster because the next person needs to find the water, needs to find it on the coaster, not where it made sense in the plastic container above the shoes, you know, because I was really, I didn't know that I was doing that, but I talked to my mom about it and she was like, you've been doing that since you were a kid. You've always had weird organizational methods that are incredibly disorganized, but they only make sense to you. Understanding how to manage a team, because when you're in your own head and For you, you did your own thing for so long. And so you didn't have a team of people. As you have started to hire on and build out a team, what's one piece of advice that you would give for someone that's starting to really scale a business? Because you guys are two years, a little over two years into the business. Um, So what advice would you give for someone that's starting to build out a team? Okay, so this is kind of an aggressive answer to this question. But if you're opening a business and you're not willing to do every single part of every single job within your business, do not do it because you need to see what every single position looks like from taking out the trash to making an over a thousand dollar sale. And what I learned in working retail is that there's a lot of tasks that aren't preferable, that maybe aren't tedious because I'm not going to say steaming clothes. That's something I would have employees do. But there are certain tasks where it's like, This is bothersome to the employee, and it's not that I'm not hiring people that aren't positive or go-getters or wanting to help in every way, but it's like if you're going to give somebody a task that intentionally puts their light out and it's not essential to their job, especially if they're sales or customer-facing, like you probably shouldn't be in that position of power. Like a good example is like taking out the trash. So it's triple-digit heat in Texas in the summer, and my girls don't get in until noon, and I have them take the trash out in the morning year-round for safety to not do it in, at dark. So 
I come in every morning, whether I'm working or not, and I take out the trash because they have to walk it a block and a half. And how would I feel if I got all dolled up to work on a Saturday to have to walk trash a mile and 104 degree heat to then get back and then be on my feet, like answering questions and being personable, you know, it's just, I guess that's a long winded way of saying, be prepared to do the things that you don't want to do. Like becoming a boss doesn't mean you don't have to do the nitty gritty. And I'm sure you can think of service industry situations where you're like, oh yeah, that that's, I've seen that in reverse. A piece of advice that was given to me was you're going to have a whole new level of appreciation if you're doing those things when you hire them out and there's not going to be this sense of I'm better than or I'm above this job title if that's if there's that's the case in this situation, which I thought was super interesting. An example I have is for me, social media has always been a struggle. And I remember I'm like, I just wish I could hire this out and get rid of it. And someone told me they're like, no, because now you understand the value that the person is providing you. And it's kind of like if a business scales overnight, like you hear a bunch of whether it's an influencer or a business, that that's almost the most detrimental thing that can happen because you're just not ready for it. You're not used to it and you're not prepared for it. And so it's kind of the same thing that you're alluding to. It's like when you're doing all the jobs and you find someone to fill that role, you're going to have an appreciation because you did that thing and you can empathize with where they are and the role that they're fulfilling in your business. Not to mention the respect you get in turn for doing that like goodness gracious if I don't make it to the shop to take out the trash before 12 they've already done it and when I'm like oh my god you did not have to do that they're like why do you always come do that like we're happy to do it but at the same time it's like just trying to lead by example like these things that nobody wants to do I want to show them that I do them too and that I didn't start this just to sit from the top and bark down that makes sense absolutely leading by example and having humility as a leader. I know the industry that I'm in now, it's always about building a culture of openness and not having a leader who's constantly telling you what to do, but they're not actually walking the walk. They're just talking the talk, which I think it's hard to idolize and really look up to leaders and entrepreneurs if that's the example that they are leading. And another like big tip with that too is When we do our scheduling, of course, if I have trips or I have things scheduled out, I make that very clear that those shifts are have to be taken. But other than that, I let my employees fill out their availability before I fill out mine because I feel like it's my business. And at the end of the day, it's my responsibility to be there if nobody's there. And I want my people to be happy. I don't want them to be feeling they're forced to be anywhere at a certain time or they're not going to be able to keep their job. In terms of retail, I'm intrigued on just the overall business because it can be very competitive, especially in the athleisure space. You see businesses popping up all over the place. Are there two to three pieces of advice? Maybe there's someone out there on the other side of this podcast right now that wants to tap into the retail space that you would give them on launching their own business or entering into the work that you do. So if somebody was wanting to go into the niche athleisure like upscale industry, the opportunity is unfortunately really limited. And the way that I would recommend that they go about doing that is starting to work for a brand specifically or working for a showroom that reps those lines, 
When COVID happened, all of these brands did better than they'd ever done before because nobody could go to their fitness studio. So they were working out with their influencers online who were saying, hey, my set's linked in my bio. So all these brands did where they were normally selling through big box e-com. That was their bread and butter prior to COVID. Then it was direct. So when I actually reached out to, I'll use Ali Yoga, for example, because I'm wearing a bunch of their stuff. Yeah. They were like, hey, you're actually like reaching out at the perfect window because we were about to close it. It's only because we've been working with you for so many years that we will open your account. So, and then in 2021, in January, they cut off 90% of their wholesaler accounts. And then they're going to do it again in Jan- in December. So, but I already know that I'm not, I'm not getting cut, but it's because of the experience. So I got really lucky in my timing of my experience within the athleisure industry because I've know that there are people who want to do the same thing and there are so many brands but the specific ones that I have are starting to close rank a little bit has that been your vision this whole time is to go after those niche niche brands to differentiate differentiate yourself between your competitors totally so the brands that I've been working with when I started that position a long time ago it was like beginning of 2018 When I started working with these brands, a lot of them, some of them I knew, but most of them I did not. And they're now all big household names, but I watched their come up and the way that their brands evolved. So I kind of not only became married to the product, but also the brand and the way that the company is run, like to the point where I can sit down with Ella Yoga and look at a line sheet and I know what each brand style name means, whether I've ordered it before or not. And when they like tell me what the fabric is, I know exactly what that fabric's for, how it's going to stretch, how it's going to fit. And that's really hard in activewear because every brand runs so different. You know, some, I don't carry any that run by numbers, but some of them are extra, extra small to 3X. Some of them are extra small, small, and then medium, large. So it's just, I guess, learning so many different brands and how they work so interesting to me because I think obviously from an outsider looking in I have no passion for any sort of uh anything to do with the fashion industry let's just put it that way I'm very much of a tomboy I do the outfit that I'm wearing you guys are uh, seeing this is from her uh from her store and I absolutely love it but I feel like I would just never pick this out like unless I obviously walked in there so I think it's so interesting in terms of working with brands this is obviously very new with influencer marketing and everything going on are there things that you've learned about the industry obviously that you didn't know before working directly with some of these big names like aloe I'm wearing beach riot you have aloe. I'm wearing aloe yes you're wearing aloe aloe head to toe by accident yeah. usually I'm mixing it all up but I put this on and I was like yeah yeah <laughs> so what I guess my question was what are some things that you've learned about that space and working with brand individually that you could share with the audience? Maybe it's some things that aren't maybe as great or maybe they're things that you're like, hey, this is an opportunity for people who are looking to get into something similar as you. Totally. So I'd say the biggest obstacle is that most of my brands have showrooms in different cities. So a lot of them are in New York. A lot of them are in LA. Some of them are in Dallas. Um, So they come to town every once in a while, but they don't all come for every single market. So I can't just go to market and hit everything at once. Um, When it comes to activewear brands, I only carry upscale brands. But then when it comes into the trendy layering pieces, I'm buying like a traditional boutique owner would. 
So with the Upscale Active, they're different showrooms, like, and they're in New York, they're in LA, a few are in Dallas, but they're never here at the same time. So it's just kind of staggering the different experiences because when you're buying from an upscale brand, um, you sit down and they're like, do you want a water, mimosa, or like pretzels? You know, it's like you're on an airline and they like show you everything and then they're like, you like this? Okay, we'll put it on this. You know, and then when you're buying like um, normal boutique clothes, like what accessorizes with it, you're just like ripping through racks. Like, I like this, I like this, I like this. And then you're like, hey, what's your name? Like, can we like check this out? Like, it's like, a different experience. It is so overwhelming the first time because I was not doing like traditional boutique buying before. I was just doing upscale active. So when we started doing that, I was like, this makes me so anxious because it's just like running around and sorting through so much stuff. Like it would be like going into Plato's closet and then being like, find the one brand new piece that has tags on it, like from the brand. And you have to sort through 600 things to find that one piece, you know? How often do you buy? So, or how does that in your business work? Six months in advance, six to nine months in advance. We fill gaps. Like if I were to sell out of that Beach Riot set within a few days, I could call them up and be like, hey, can you send me like four more? And usually the answer is yes. But for the most part with Upscale Active, they cut it to order. So I'll place, I'm placing like January and February, March right now. And they'll make those clothes based off of the orders that I place. So there's like, that's the other thing is with retail in the upscale space, there's no backing out. Like I've heard a lot of boutique owners in a boutique networking organization that I'm a part of say that they'll cancel cards if they didn't have the month before leading up to cover payroll and bills and all of that. That's not how upscale works. Upscale is like, we made this for you and you're paying for it regardless. And I've never been in a situation where I've wanted or needed to cancel an order, yeah. but that's where both Christy and I's talents and strengths in business really had to come together like very strong because she would watch like, okay, here's what our average months look like netting. Yeah. So we can afford this much to cover payroll, rent. And then let's say we do a little bit over half upscale active and the rest boutique clothes, that percentage changes depending on the month and depending on the sales that we had had in the months previous and comparing to our sales reports from the year prior. So we'll look at dates like the 4th of July. She was like, what, what hours do you want to do? And I was like, okay, let's pull it up. And we both look at the 4th of July last year and we're like, okay, so surprisingly slam dunk. So we're going to be open all day. And then that's what we did. But, and so far we haven't had an issue with that, but I will say that the area that we're in is so heavy tourism that when it comes to a lot of things, we don't know what to expect in terms of foot traffic. But for me, as long as we can keep conversion up when people are in, it's, that's the bread and butter. Um, Because the areas of, I would say about 70% tourism and they're developing the area so fast that we're going to go from wait, why'd you guys choose Bishop Arts to, oh my gosh, how'd y'all get this spot? Like that'll happen overnight and we're watching it build and there are a ton of people that come down. So that's been wild. 
you did a bit on Barbara Corcoran's podcast, which I thought was super interesting. And I want to kind of take this future focus because I think there's a lot in store for you. What is your vision? So obviously you guys have the store in Bishop Arts right now. And I think you hit the nail on the head. I think it's a lot of tourism. There's always people walking outside, which I think is unique versus other areas in Dallas. I live in West Village. There's still some people walking, but you don't see people lingering into stores as much. I mean, they just put up kittenish, but I don't see that many people walking in and out of there. So obviously you all are killing it in Bishop Arts right now. Where do you see the company moving as you kind of take the lead role and where do you want to see it go over the next, let's say two to two to five years or three to five years? So I guess I should preface it by saying that my real estate agent, Griffin Gall, love and death, he brought me down to Bishop Arts kicking and screaming, okay? I was like, West Village, Snyder Plaza only. And I had explained to him that, you know, an athleisure boutique, people don't know to search for that. They kind of have to come across us on social media or just come across our storefront. And he was like, I have the perfect spot. It's in Bishop Arts and I'm from Fort Worth. And I never came to Dallas before. Like I would come every once in a while just to go out with friends or to go to dinner. Yeah. But I definitely wasn't in the retail space. And I was like, no, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to. And then he sent so many pictures and I showed up and I was like, okay, so do you want my firstborn child or all my non-essential <laughs> organs? Cause like I'm coming here. And so we went in that little white house next to Paradiso. And I mean, it was insane. And thankfully those people have followed us into our new space. Cause now we're yeah. just like a few doors down, but that gave us a running start in the area. Like no one can believe. Why do you think that is? Because Paradiso is so popular and always has a wait. So people would go put their name on the wait list and we were attached to their patio. So people could go get a drink at the bar and then walk through the store. We'd have the doors open, but it's like clearly part of the property. So people were not even knowing what they were walking into and just being like, wait, this is really cool. I wasn't looking for this. Like, how did I find this? And they followed us on social media and we uh, try to do a lot of activations with local boutique studios too. Um, But still every single day I hear, oh my gosh, I had no idea you guys were here. Like I hear that every day. I'm one of those when I was driving to the store, I had no idea. First off, I don't go to Bishop Arts that often. So I'll be the first one to admit that. But I I thought you guys were in the white building and then I recognized that you all moved. But I would say the same thing. And I walked in the store. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. I just had no idea. And I think the most unique thing is that it's not just a Lululemon. Like You guys have so many different options that most yoga studios don't even have. I mean, obviously, I'm at Ritual. They have a lot of high-end gear, but you had some stuff that even they don't carry and just more of a variety. So I do feel like people who aren't going into a workout class, it's that exact same athleisure experience, but elevated. Totally. And going back to the Lululemon experience, like I hear women of all body sizes and all ages say that they've never felt worse about themselves than they do in that mirror. And I have good things to say about Lululemon. I mean, I have their bum bag in my car right now. You know, I'm not a Lulu hater by any means. Am I buying their products? No, because I think that there's way better out there. And I believe that when it comes to athletic clothes, it's already a touchy subject of feeling comfortable and confident and liking the way you feel and every movement that people do is different. You know, you're going to wear something different for a cycling class versus a sculpt class um, or a Pilates class. Um, and so I wanted people to be able to come in and find something that they feel like a rock star in. And it doesn't matter what brand, because more often than not, if somebody comes into the store, I don't, ex- I don't merchandise things by brand. 
And I do that intentionally because people will pull things. They'll be like, this is so cute. And they're like, oh my gosh, spiritual gangster. I've never heard of that. And I'm like, try it on. It's amazing. And they're like, oh, I've seen it on this big e-com or this big e-com, but I didn't know what size I was. So I didn't order it. So that's another way that we benefit our brands too, is that we give them the opportunity for people to try them on in store. And let's say somebody tries something on from Spiritual Gangster and they don't buy it from me, they now know what size they are. So next time they are on Spiritual Gangster and they're having a sale or something, they know what size to buy. So it's kind of um, scratching both backs. Yeah. You're very passionate, which I think is incredible in making women's bodies feel good and look good and wherever you're at in your journey. And I know you have a journey in and itself from your chef days to where you are today. I want you to share as much as you're comfortable sharing, but I think this is a super inspiring story for anyone that is just starting out in a fitness journey or they are like me and our psycho and work out all the time. I think it's never too late to start. And so I want you to share your why and where that passion for making people look and feel good no matter what size you are, because I think it's really incredible. Thank you so much. My story with this is a little weird because technically my fitness journey started in the middle of my fitness journey. And I guess you'll pick up what I'm putting down once I get started. But I was working out all of the time. I was in the best shape of my life. And I took this photo in, I was working for the athleisure company. I took this photo in a two-piece set to send to a customer. And I looked at it for like 30 minutes. And I was like, Does this, do I look good enough in this to send? And then two hours later, I was run over by my own car. And my right leg was completely pinned underneath the car. Um, the axle, the back axle was off the ground. So all of the weight of this large SUV was in two wheels, one of which was on my leg. And I'm on West 7th Street in Fort Worth, waving my arms up and down, screaming, and people are driving by and waving, hey. Um, and it took like five or six minutes for somebody to get there, get into the car, turn it back on, put it in drive, and drive it off. Um, and from there, I mean, I gained like 50 pounds. I mean, like it, that, would, that destroyed all of my progress. And also my self-esteem like went down yeah. with that. Um, so I obviously got right back into fitness, but you have to give your body so much grace mm -hmm. when it goes through trauma like that. Um, and so that was really hard for me to digest. Like you don't, it's not about the finish line. It's about getting there. And if I had never started in the first place and didn't get myself into good shape before that happened, or even moderate shape, it would have been so much harder to recover. And the moment when you're like, like before I got out from under the car, I was like, am I ever going to walk again? Having that question like go through your head, yeah. like when you've ever felt that way, you never take your body for granted ever again because you realize how scary that could be to lose that. Um, so, you know, I'd gained a lot of weight and had to develop a healthy relationship with food um, and with working out because for me, you know, they say it's 80-20, 80% of what you eat, 20% of what you do. I was doing the reverse. I was like, how can I just do the most? That just makes you exhausted mm -hmm. and bitchy. Can I say that? Yeah, yeah, you're good. You know, it's yeah. just like, that doesn't help. Yeah. So it was kind of evolving the like, hey, you know, you looked at that photo and you didn't like what you saw, but then that gave you gratitude going forward because you were humbled like 45 minutes later. You know what I mean? So it, was, it gave me a different perspective. Like now I don't go to the gym because of how I look in my clothes. 
I go to the gym because I, I want my body to feel good. And typically one follows the other, right? I mean, if you're treating your body with like honor and respect, depending on what your goals are, you are probably going to see it. And for most people, I think it's also misunderstood that the fitness industry is all about weight loss. And I think that that's the worst way to look at it. Like if you're putting your mental health as the front foot, then your body or whatever your goals are will follow. Whether you're trying to gain muscle because you think you're too small or you're trying to lose weight because you think you're too big, if you're doing it for your mind, it'll fall into place from there. That's the soapbox that I get on sometimes because one of the number one questions that I've gotten asked for the past 10 years since I've gotten super into fitness is how do you do it and how do you stay consistent? And the thing that I keep coming back to is that it makes me feel mentally like such a different person and the energetic shift that I feel from even a 30 minute run or a yoga class or whatever it is. There really isn't a price tag. And I think you touched on something really important that has to do with perspective shift, which I think sometimes it takes an incident like yours or going through something in your life. I know for me, injury, my mom got in a terrible car accident and she hasn't been able to recover the same ever again. And so it's like when she was walking was taken away from her, you just have a new level of appreciation for what your body can do. And you start to speak to yourself differently and you start to look at working out in fitness as a, as a lifestyle instead of an end goal. Like for me, there's really no goal unless I'm obviously right now I'm running a half marathon, but that's just that's amazing because that's my personality. But in terms of scale or how I want to look or any of those things, it's never about that anymore. It's just about how can I be the best version of myself and operate at that level, which I think is exactly what you're sharing with the audience. Well, and I've heard a lot of fitness instructors say this, but I always have to credit it back to Paige Martindale at Class Studios because she was the first person who said it, or at least the first person that made me hear it that it's always consistency over perfection. If you show, like the hardest part is getting there. And if you're having a bad day and you show up for that workout, I don't care if I only do 10%. Like I got there and that was part of the mental battle too. Because regulating your schedule and sticking to that is another huge piece of mental health where fitness falls suit that people don't think about. Like getting yourself on a schedule is so important to me, especially as an entrepreneur, that now that I'm kind of running two businesses, obviously I have my own, and but my brother started his business and now I'm like really right under his arm with that. And so I'm like, how do I efficiently be an entrepreneur for two different avenues and honor myself? And it's following a schedule. And I think that the fitness industry is a great place to start. And if you've never worked out in your life, like literally just walking around the block and setting a time that you're going to do it. It doesn't have to be at the same time every day, but just like making a time to do it and doing it, it'll change your life. Even if you're not looking for results, like physically, mentally, it'll change your life. What you just touched on in consistency is across the board, the number one thing that I've heard from any successful person, whether it's fitness or whether it's entrepreneurship, consistency in anything that you do. And you hear it all the time. And I think one of the biggest things that I recognize, because it's ingrained in my brain, like nothing scares me more than missing a week on the podcast. Like I will not do it. Like I will be the most consistent person, but it's funny to see how many people don't follow that track or 
wonder why they're not where they should be when I'm like, if you 10 minutes a day, 20 minutes a day of working out, whatever the goal is in your life, if you make it a priority and you're consistent, the results will come with time. It's just a matter of time if you're willing to be patient and you're really you're willing to push through the challenges that are thrown your direction or the obstacles that we all navigate through. Totally. Like I felt like a salmon swimming upstream, getting this permanent brick and mortar open. Like obviously pandemic, every world circumstance. But then once I actually got into that situation, there are so many more things thrown at you. And it's like learning how to navigate those through those things is putting one foot in front of the other because you're never, well, very rarely going to actually have the answer offhand. And it's always just taking baby steps on stuff. And I open emails all the time that just completely overwhelm me. And I will start typing a draft and then I'll draft it and then I'll set a reminder to go back to it and reread it when I think that I'll be less overwhelmed. And then if I'm still overwhelmed at that point, I'll move it back. But I think also being able to take things in doses, right? Like making a schedule for yourself and following through with that in terms of your actions. But then when you have your business hat on and you're making decisions, not worrying as much about deadlines. I say that as I am weird about deadlines. But I try to get as far enough ahead of them so that they don't creep up on me and bite me in the back. Yeah, I'm I'm the girl with nothing in her inbox. Like I am such I didn't think I was type A, but after dealing with different people at or different organizations that maybe like to show up five minutes late to a call or like to send this three days later instead of 24 hours. Like I definitely notice certain things about myself that I'm like, and maybe this is why you are the way that you are because I get so frustrated. I'm like, oh, can we just do this now? So when I felt like a salmon swimming upstream, opening this store, all the world circumstances, everything, all of a sudden, like I was feeling really burnt out and kind of kicked into the mud when we were opening our first brick and mortar location, which was October of 2021. And to be feeling burnt out when you're beginning is the scariest feeling in the world because for us, it wasn't actually the beginning because we had started in March, 2020. So here we are, October, 2021. And all of a sudden I'm on the news and then they call again. Can you be on the news again? Can you be on the news again? Do you want to be on Texas today? Do you want to be on Barbara's Barbara Corgan's podcast. It was like, I was finally getting all these things that were recognizing the hard work that I had put in. And I would not have seen a single cent of that if I hadn't just kept moving through all the hard stuff in terms of consistency. What's the biggest piece of advice or something that you would tell someone that feels like they're doing all of the right things, but they haven't quite got to that point where they're reaping those results or seeing the passion or the vision that they have come to fruition? I think I'd first ask, are you sure that you're 100% positive that what you're doing is going to work? And it's a gut feeling. Do I know for a fact that this store is going to be largely successful no I can't know that for a tangible fact but I know it in my gut for a fact and so I don't ever have any fears and I definitely don't air them out to other people like that's not something that I talk to friends or family about because as soon as you start going down the negative road you cannot come back up at yourself you're depending on other people and it's like this is all about you if you have fears like journal them out and then open up that journal when you're feeling it again 
And I guarantee you, you're just going to, if it's on your phone, like in your notes, like it is for me, you're just going to start deleting stuff. Like the negative thoughts that you have in your head of like why this won't work out or why it can't or why I have this obstacle. Like none of this stuff is real. Like everything is just one day at a time. And so I think that speaking out fears and negativity is the worst thing that you can do as an entrepreneur. You're either hundred percent positive you're going to kill it or you're going to free fall and you're going to fail. It's hundred percent or zero. There's nothing in between for me. Wow. Guys, I'm speechless at that comment because I think I always ask about how do you advise people to overcome fears? You have a black and white mindset like myself. A lot of people that I've asked that question to on the podcast say, just do it. You just have to go after it. But I think not. there's not a lot of personalities that resonate with that or people who are hesitant. So if there is someone that's sitting there and there's fears of failure or fear of what the next step is or fear of hiring, what would you tell them to do in terms of just getting over that next little hump and just taking the next step in the right direction? So something that I do when I hit a situation that I don't know how to handle is I'll come up with a solution and then I'll come up with an obstacle of why the solution that I made wouldn't work so that I have to come up with another solution. Give an example. Um... So hiring. So I brought on six people at the same time, knowing that four of them wanted to work Saturdays and there are two Saturday shifts. Two of them only wanted to work Sundays, right? Well, I want to still do pop-ups and do like community outreach things, which are always morning on Saturdays. So the problem is like when the girls are filling out the schedule and everybody's out of town on a weekend where I need to be at a fitness studio doing a pop-up that I know would convert. And at that point, it's like, okay, what are your options here? None of your employees can do it, okay? For me, fortunately, can my mom do it? Yeah. You know, can my business partner do it? Or do I think that I would make more money being there versus having the store open? Because I've done that before too and people wouldn't expect that option. But it's like if I know that I have a lucrative opportunity that's outside of my store, I have no problem popping on Instagram and being like, hey guys, I love you guys so much. I'm actually going to be closed. If you want to come shop, come after. If this inconveniences your schedule, I'll drop a discount. Come see me at this fitness studio. And I think just knowing that you're not always going to have the answer and things aren't always going to be perfect you just have to weigh the pros and cons of your solutions. So it's, you know, do I hire somebody else? Do I call my mom? Do I, you know, just close the store? It's figuring out what all the different avenues are and which one's actually going to work. In terms of growth, I'm going to circle back. I know I uh, asked you this question earlier. Where do you want this business to go? I know you said on Barbara Corcoran's, you thought about taking it international. She kind of gave you some poor... Uh, polarizing opinions on that, which I thought was super interesting um, on her podcast. But where, what's your vision for this business over the next few years? So it's evolved. The vision has evolved several times, but what is maintained the same is that I see us opening multiple stores all around the country in different big cities. There are a couple of boutiques that are similar to us, like one amazing one crew in Nashville, like incredible, very, very similar to my concept and similar brands, if not I mean, she, we have a ton of overlap, but she's amazing. Like I work with Opry Beauty and actually I love this because I was actually the first account to ever pick up Opry Beauty and now they're in Equinox. Now they're in Free People and uh, something Navy. And so like, I'm like wildly proud of that brand. And that's actually a local 
uh, Dallas entrepreneur too, but you know, like I connected her to um, the Nashville girl and I was like, Hey, I know we haven't met, but we obviously have a ton of mutual connections. Yeah. You'd love this brand. So obviously I'm not going to go up in her region. I'm not about to yeah. open a store in Nashville, you know, but I do see this concept in every big city and I do want to own several of them outright myself but I also do want to franchise out the concept and be able to teach other women how to do what I'm doing because I do recognize that most of my brands have shut out new opportunities for this concept but if I were to franchise it and I was the one who was doing the ordering then we could work together and that could like kind of be an exception but I hear of all the time people reaching out to brands that I carry and they're like they just said no like it wasn't like we'll let you know if but it's just no so that's the long-term vision is I do want to have stores all over the place. Um, but it's just funny that now the scale of growth, I guess, for yeah. my business versus my brother's is like completely different. Like his business is about 300% bigger and more successful than we tracked it to be. And it's only started two months ago. So wow. obviously I'm really getting up in there and helping him because this is his first time starting a business. Yeah. And I just started this process. So there's a lot that I can help him with, but I do see those two businesses while they're completely unrelated growing together in tandem. Because if he's like, Hey, I want to open a Houston location. I'm like, yeah, so I'll do the same. Cause I'll be there all the time, you know? Yeah. So, what business is he in? So foundation repair. Okay. So commercial and residential, um, Something that's essential that like people just literally cannot go without, especially yeah. if they're going to buy or sell their house. So I guess that's another thing that surprises people about me is that I'll do like literally anything. Like I, in a couple of weeks here, we'll be putting on a top gun suit, like a flight suit and crawling underneath houses and like assessing the foundation. Like, and my brother was like, Hey, like, you know, that like there are rats and like snakes and like raccoons. And I'm like, yeah and like she sat in 106 degree weather in a uh in a truck and um in a, in a vehicle she can do anything she can go <laughs> well and i was telling my brother a story he was like are you sure that you're cool with like rats and i was like listen <laughs> last summer when we were in that white house outside of parody so this little old homeless man who was just so precious he had a golden retriever wearing sunglasses a cat and a mouse in his hand and he comes into the store and he's bawling crying and he's like, Mickey Mouse, my mouse crawled underneath the house. I can't fit under there. And I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. I'm so sorry. Like, here's a water. Well, he sits out there and he cries for two and a half hours, okay? And nobody's coming through the door. So I walked out and I said, meet me in the middle here. What do I got to do? And he was like, you can fit in that hole under the house. And I was like, you want me to go grab your mouse? And he was like, yeah, his name is Mickey. And I was like, okay. So I crawl under the house and I grab it. And I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but like when I grabbed it, it's testicles enlarged. And I realized I wasn't touching a mouse. I was touching a rat. <laughs> it was about this big. I'm reaching into the dark so I could only see its tail. So the one that he's holding is a mouse. And the one that I'm grabbing is a rat. And I pull it out and I hand it back to him. And I'm like, is that vaccinated? And he goes, no, I found him yesterday. And I told my brother that story and he goes, just so you know that if you were applying for a job with me, I never would have hired you based off of that story. But I'm glad <laughs> to know that you're not afraid of rats. I was like, I really thought I was flexing here. And he was like, no, that's a huge red flag. Don't touch wild animals. 
you're willing to do whatever it takes in your uh to make your clients happy, big or small. Grabbing rats by the balls. Barbara Corcoran, what's one of the biggest things or what's the biggest takeaway that you had from that experience on her podcast? Because I think she's a great, she's someone that I look up to in business. And she, I've had a few people on Shark Tank on this podcast that have gotten really good feedback from not just her, but all the sharks across the board. Honestly, stepping back and looking at the bigger picture and like logistics. So she, I had binge listened to her podcast and was like, I was so prepared, right? Well, normally she's a little bit more harsh with people. Like we connected really well off the bat. And I actually started crying because I was overwhelmed because she was being so, so nice. And um, that was probably the weirdest response I've ever had, like emotionally. But I was obviously so nervous as somebody who grew up watching Shark Tank and is just obsessed with her. Yeah. Um, but stepping back and looking at the big picture and then thinking about the logistics of what you're wanting to do and what those logistics would look like. Like I had an opportunity where somebody came in and they were like, I want to franchise your store in Australia. And I was like, this is really cool because most of my brands don't ship there. Yeah. And they don't sell there at all. And they're popular there. So people who live in Australia, they were traveling when they were in Europe or they, they were in America, they were buying my brands. So I was like, if I could put a store there, like money. Yeah. And she was like, sister, I, and I had thought about all these things, of course. Yeah. She was like, how are you getting in there? And I had answers to all these questions, but I don't think this part was aired. And she was like, you do realize that you're responding, that you are going to be doing all these things. And you're also going to be overseas. How is this going to work? And I was like, you know what? I am putting the cart before the horse here and I need to chill out. Um, because to me, I was just like, this is a big, shiny opportunity. Like, let's go. And she was like, no. Like, she did tell me to hit the ground running and go faster in terms of opening stores. But she did tell me to keep them together in the beginning so that if stuff goes terribly wrong, I'm... 20, 30, 40 minutes down the yeah. road instead of, you know, like a day. <laughs> it's it's easy to get caught up when there's dollar signs. You see money and you see sales and it's easy to want to go that direction. But I think when you really break things down and this is something my mentor always tells me, he's like, hey, again, kind of like removing that emotion out of it and just saying like, logically, does this make sense? In your mind, you're like, I can do all of these things. But when you really break it down at the end of the day, it's like, it probably could cost you more money doing all those things and time, like time is money. And so that's, I think what she was probably alluding to in that sense of like, okay, it's actually taking you more time, which in that sense, like you could be doing other things that are more productive for the business. Totally. And another like piece of advice for other entrepreneurs is not being afraid to speak things out in existence. Don't get me wrong. I accidentally said Australia in Barbara's podcast. I was trying to not give a location. I was just trying to say overseas. And then her questions got so complex that I ended up saying, yeah. turning my hand. And then I was humiliated. Like I was so embarrassed because I was like, now what if it doesn't happen? Like everybody knows that that's what I was trying to do. And then I realized, first off, I decided not to do it based off of her advice. Yeah. So it was my decision to rein it back and yeah. be realistic. Yeah. But also at the same time, I'm like, no, that's not embarrassing for people to know that I had a really cool opportunity, you know, like just because I didn't do it. Yeah. It's not embarrassing. Like, that's cool. Like, I still think that that's an accomplishment. Yeah. To have that opportunity presented to me. Yeah. As at the time, a 26 year old girl who'd started a business a year ago during a pandemic and, you know, I knew what I was doing, but I mean, I was scared. So for somebody to come in and be like, whoa, I want to open this in another country, another continent. Like, that's really cool. And I didn't need to feel embarrassed that I had said something before it happened. Now, I don't like recommend running around being like, I'm going to do this if you like actually have no substance behind it. But like not being afraid to kind of speak things out. Yeah. 
as we kind of begin to wrap up this podcast and tie everything together throughout your entire journey through entrepreneurship over the last few years, looking back, what's something that you would tell yourself before you went on in this journey? Probably that you are the most important person in your own life. And I'm naturally overly empathetic and a total people pleaser, which is why retail is like my jam. I love customer service and making people feel good and talking and, you know, all the different things. But being focused on relationships was the biggest burnout for my entrepreneurial career. And I'm not just talking about like boyfriends and things like that. Also, family, friends. Like I realized about a year in that if I didn't have the bandwidth to hear my friend tell me about the annoying thing that her husband did yesterday, like I got to tell her before she starts. Like, hey, I love you to death. We got to talk about this tomorrow because I'm on empty and this is going to drain me. And that's my biggest piece of advice. And the thing that I had to tell myself from year one going forward is like, no one's going to look out for you the way that you look out for yourself. We all know that to be true. So you kind of have to lead with that, you know? Like if somebody wants to grab coffee and I haven't seen them in a month, but I need to move my body, I'm, I'm going to go to my workout class. You know, we'll find another time. Are there certain things that you do in your personal life so that you're operating at your highest potential in your business? Whether it's journaling, meditation, working out, you've already mentioned that. Working out, of course. Um, hobbies wise, turning off my, well, this isn't a hobby. So, but turning off my phone. like. I will mute all my notifications. Like I was out of town this weekend and I completely muted Gmail and mail and was like, I'm off. Because the other thing about burnout is you never feel it coming. Mm -hmm. It just hits you upside the head. And so you have to prepare for that on the front end. Like, you know, if I shouldn't be working right now, I'm not going to be working right now. You know, like we're in the podcast, my phone's off. Even if there was an emergency, my store was on fire. I'll get to it when I get to it. You know what I mean? And putting those limitations on yourself is so good for your mental health and your motivation because if you're constantly reachable or in touch, you're spreading yourself so thin and you don't even realize it. You might not even have notifications coming through, but if you're checking your phone every second, it it does wear on you. So like at the end of the day, I'm a total dork and I still watch Glee all of the time. And so I turn off my phone and I watch Glee with my dog and I don't tell anybody about it until I get on a podcast and then just like blurt it out that I'm a Glee <laughs> You know, it's embarrassing, but it's so funny. <laughs> That's what the podcast is all about. People share things about themselves that no one else knows. That was one of the things I was like, don't go in there and talk about Glee. Like, <laughs> I always get it out of people. Where, pimp yourself out. So where can people find you? I'm going to put all this in the show notes as I do every single episode, but where can people find you? market yourself. Yes. Okay. So people can find me on Instagram, Lawrence underscore Woodson underscore. That's the same on TikTok. And then DeNovo Active is in Bishop Arts and it's at 250 North Bishop, Suite 130 in Dallas. And our Instagram is at DeNovo Active and our website is DeNovoActive.com. And oh, DW Foundation Repair, follow us on Instagram. <laughs> She's got two. She's pimped out two businesses here, guys. We love it. And then the final question that I ask every single person is, Lawrence, what are you grateful for today? 
this opportunity and opportunities like this to tell my story and just to know that people are interested, that you go through all of this hard work and anyone wants to hear about it. You know what I mean? Because that's kind of the part of it that you wonder, like in the grand scheme of things, when you look back, like what did you leave behind? Like what did you build? And for me, it's more about community than anything else. So I'm grateful for the opportunity that people want to hear what I have to say. They want to talk to me about what I've been going through um, because without community, like really what do you have, you know, at the end of the day. That was my why for this podcast because I had interviewed or talked to, not interviewed yet, so many incredible people that had so many cool stories. And it wasn't till I got, and I'm similar to you, like I could talk to a brick wall, sat them down and not only did a, like a light inside of them go off and I could tell that this is what they wanted, but it was also just their way of serving and giving back to other young entrepreneurs and people who wanted to go after and do the same thing. And that's why I have older people that have are in their fifties that are, I, they, I've already built my business. I'm done. All I want to do is help. And then I have people like you who are young and fiery and are just on their journey. But I think no matter where you're at, there's always this sense I feel in most entrepreneurs that do want to give back and they want to share their knowledge. And so that's been, I think one of the most incredible things for me on this podcast is not only selfishly do I get to learn about entrepreneurship and find what works for me, but I think just seeing and giving the platform for people to share what resonates most with them and share their story because you're going to help at least one person. And when you're helping one person, that's really all that matters. So thank you. Thank you for so sharing much. that. And then I am grateful for, as always, this podcast and having you on. I'm grateful. I'm going to San Diego this week, which I'm literally so happy about. I feel like I keep talking about it, but I've never been. And I'm, I've never been. I'm ready to head west. I'm ready to get some tan on and hang with one of my friends from high school. So thank you all for tuning in to the pop podcast. And I'll talk to you all next week. Thank you.